0: Hey guys, just before we begin this podcast, I would like to tell you about our sponsors, McCann Fitzgerald, who we are incredibly lucky to have as a sponsor, as they are one of the top law firms in the country. One of the things we've noticed about them after speaking with so many different law firms is that while clearly being a top tier firm, they also have a clear human touch to what they do and are very forward thinking. Partners are very involved with graduates and trainees, which seems to have cultivated this incredible culture where people stay for a long time because they enjoy it and feel part of the community. So if you're looking for a career in law, definitely check out their career site, as it seems to be a really great place to work. Hope you enjoy this episode. Thanks. Hey, guys. Welcome back to the Grad Life Law Podcast. Today, we've got a two-on-one episode. So we've got Roisin Finn and Matt Gregg. Uh, Roisin is an associate in uh, McCann Fitzgerald in tech innovation and employment. And Matt is an associate in corporate banking. Guys, thank you very much for joining. You're welcome, Mark.
1: Yeah, thanks for having us.
0: So as you know, grad life is about trying to track people's career paths to date, what has motivated them along the way, uh, what kind of things they've done to get to where they are, what they've learned, how their thoughts have evolved, all this sort of stuff. I think a good place for us to start might be uh, with college and what you were thinking in college. So Roisin, if you want to go first, you did law and politics in UCD. What was your plan at that point? Like even going before that, why did you choose law and politics rather than just law or just politics?
1: Yeah that's a really good question and uh, it's a good place to start. Um, well I chose law and politics, actually I never would have expected I would end, end, have ended up in corporate law because I chose it as initially kind of something to bring me towards journalism which I think I thought I wanted to do in secondary school um, and instead of going for a kind of journalism degree um, I was advised by kind of a career guidance counsellor that you know, why don't you do a broader degree and maybe join the college paper and get additional experience? And um, but then on starting law with politics, as I suppose as the degree went on, and there was probably an element of you kind of know what you're surrounded by. The friends I made and the people I met in law were all going. A lot of them were going towards legal careers. So my kind of focus and my outlook kind of changed as I went through it. And I also found I really enjoyed the kind of practical aspects of law, having done a couple of internships kind of towards the end of college and and experiences and speaking to law firms. I decided to go down that route, but it certainly wasn't the plan when I went to UCD in the first place.
0: Did you feel like a fish out of water? Did you feel like the odd one out kind of in any way at the start, given that you, you assume you had different motivations there to the rest of them?
1: yeah certainly well um i suppose i i'm from kerry myself so i came um there was a couple of us from my school who went to ucd but not that many um so really starting the degree without you know what kind of a a pal to you know walk Mm -hmm. in with was also you always feel like a fish out of water but i think a lot of people go into um especially law degrees with probably a more broader mindset than maybe they end up with at the end maybe that's because of the structure of the degrees um we get a lot of law firms coming in and and kind of pitching and and sponsoring events and stuff so you get really exposed to that element of it and um, which is interesting and like it's worked out really well for me and there are plenty of people who i know from college and specifically in the law with politics group that i was in who've gone down different roads. So there's some doing political uh, communications, there's some in the civil service, um, doing all kinds of things, but a lot of us have gone down the corporate law route. Um, and so I guess feeling like a fish out of water at the start, maybe a little bit, but I think everyone going to college, no matter how uh, how much confidence is feigned on the first day is a fish out of water, yeah. uh, no matter what.
0: That's pretty fair. It makes sense that the law firms were able to market to you in, in- and mm. well, politics, but Matt, how did they rope you into all of this now, coming from uh, from history and politics?
2: So it's it's funny, actually, that like Roisin and I have been friends and colleagues now for almost three years, and I also chose history and politics uh, sort of because I was coming out of university with a general, I knew I was interested in language and the way the world worked around me, and I had a couple of ideas about what I could do as a career, be that in law or journalism or in the Department of Foreign Affairs, those are sort of the areas that really stood out to me and it was only as i sort of did my degree uh so i did history and politics and international relations at ucd and one of the great things about that was that you could do electives in different subjects as you went through so i always had in the back of my mind that law was something that i'd like to do but that i wasn't fully committed to it at this stage and it seemed like a big jump to go from a school where i had never really studied the subject to university where i would be committing four years of my life to the topic um, without sort of an intermediary step. So I sort of took a few electives in law while I was at UCD, enjoyed the topic, really understood the sort of uh, interrelationship between the skills and reasons why I enjoyed history. That is, you know, the research mm. and the sort of, you know, constructing arguments or narratives out of events that could have happened any number which ways and realized that these applied very much so to law as well. So it was after after I uh, had done a few of these electives and during the latter stages of my degree, when I was looking for things that I could do next, uh, I actually went to a few of the law firms. I, I went to these sort of career events that Roshin's talked about. And sort I of got a feel for what it meant to work uh, in the career and get a bit of a, an idea of the practical aspects that, that Roshin was talking about. Um, I don't think there was one sort of eureka moment. I couldn't say that, you know, there was this... I watched a tv show or someone said something to me that meant you know this is it this is you're now on this career path it's more sort of a, just a general like the more i learned about the world around me and the more i learned about what i was interested in and what i could do sort of the skills that i i can naturally. it just sort of seemed like a career in law was something that i wanted to explore further
0: yeah i i'm just thinking about like the overlap between uh law and say history and politics where info retention is probably a key skill or just natural ability in both uh i'm guessing a veering towards or like a kind of leaning towards facts and fact finding and just having a hard thing set in stone kind of along the way what else do you think like what history students would make good lawyers or should consider law do you think
2: well i suppose one of the things i enjoyed most about history was sort of the study of primary and secondary sources like you're sort of looking at these documents that and when you're in school, you're looking at these documents as being the history. This is the fact. This is yeah. how this happened. But when you get to university more so, you're looking at it going, you know, who's the author and why have they written this? And what have they put in and what have they left out and how building these things together with the other accounts of the time or, you know, the other sort of facts that you can cross check? How do you actually take what they're saying at their word? Is there something missing here or is this the full picture? I think that's one of the skills that, as a history student, really comes to bear in the legal world. You've got that, first, sorry, the first skill being that, you know, you, you don't take everything at its face value. You look at it and you, you sort of question why it's written the way it is and the context in which it's been delivered, which then allows you to sort of build a, a picture as to how much reliance you can place on it. And then the second aspect is, you know, you have to then create your own argument to explain why you've reached this conclusion. So I think there's a huge overlap between the two because it's all well and good knowing you know, sections and sections of the company's act back to front. But if you can't convince everyone else that you're right or that that's the way that it should be interpreted, you're not really that useful to your clients and you're not really doing that good a job. So I think there's the, the two elements, that like the research and being able to assess primary and secondary sources and then the ability to turn that into sort of written product that people can understand, digest. They don't always agree with you, but they know exactly what you're trying to tell them.
0: Hmm. And there's yeah, a narrative around that as well. Uh Roisin, what about the political overlap then? Like I guess it does it stem from having uh, a either an opinion on things and how they could be done versus how they are, or an idealism base, or what was it that added the political element to your education? What made you want to have that component?
1: Um well, initially I wanted to have the component because like Matt said and I really resonated um, what he said there when he said that he didn't want to you know dedicate four years to just law just in case you know maybe it wasn't for you so I was really interested in politics from a young age and I thought the overlap and the degree was fantastic because for example just taking our constitution as like the prime example of the overlap between law and politics you know we do constitutional law in first year um, in ucd but i think it's either first year or second year law module across ireland and in all universities but in the meantime i was actually doing irish politics where you learned about the foundation of the state and how important the constitution is to us to our nation in terms of our kind of identity and politics so i found that really interesting overlap learning about it from both sides of of the page so to speak um and then i suppose i know i I did i was lucky to do um a kind of a short internship in the shanad for a couple of weeks when i was in second year and watching you know bills become law um is pretty interesting as a law with politics student who is you know the kind of best place you could be and um, that in itself actually doing that internship and it just uh, reminded me of it there when Matt was talking was another actual reason I decided to go towards the legal route more than the politics route mainly because watching laws like become drafted and made is really fascinating but it's a fairly slow-moving process and you have to be a specific type of person I think to deal with it and I learned a lot about myself and that maybe I was just a little impatient and kind of results orientated and like to see things through, which as a politician or or a legislator, it just takes a lot of time. Um, So it was really interesting, but that kind of put me further on the path towards this, this career, I think.
0: Interesting. And then as you move forward then in time and you move towards final exams, you know, thinking about grad jobs and all that, and then you're in McCann Fitzgerald, like a top law firm, you're in black hole. How? What are the pros and cons of being in that environment? Coming from, um, like a background that isn't just law, law generally law and usually even business and law kind of thing. You know, I'm guessing if in the distribution curve you're kind of part of the long tails of where these people are coming from. What are the pros and cons of those? And that's kind of a question for each of you. So whoever'd like to go first.
1: Yeah, sure. I I. I've actually never really given that much thought, to be quite honest. And it's it's a really good question. I think um, I personally would think there's more pros, but obviously I'm biased having, you know, <laughs> done this degree. I think that um, even going back to like my interview, for example, with McCann Fitzgerald, they're just interested in someone who has something different, you know, um, like we just talked about a kind of a... a slightly political background through education is something that not everyone would have and yeah. I actually if any uh, listeners have listened to previous uh, episodes of this I know you guys had um Karen Harty who's a, a partner in McCampus World on I remember listening to hers and she talked about having kind of a more rounded education and background yeah. exposing yourself like to different pieces of information and different you know like backgrounds and education. And I think that it's a really good thing. Personally, I think that it gives you a slight edge in you know, water cooler chat and coffee chat because you've got something different than everyone else. Um, I think it's great. I don't know if Matt maybe disagrees, but.
2: I know much like you, I'm not entirely an impartial uh, expert on this topic, (laughs) but no, I agree. I think it does uh, give you something extra and it does give you variety in what you can discuss and what you can bring to the table when you're going into interviews even if it's something that you you know that particularly chimes with the partner who's interviewing you and you go off on a tangent it's just useful to have these other interests um on the flip side it does mean that when you come to the exams or in terms of exploring like different areas of specialist law there can be an advantage to doing a pure law degree because i know that and, and it might be the same for roshin that you know your your ability to explore uh, specialist, specialist topics in college is kind of restricted because you only sort of get to do the core topics. So maybe you don't get to do, you know, the advanced intellectual property law or, you know, international law of the seas or something that, you know, might really spark uh, an interest that you never knew you had because, because you're trying to do quite a different range of interests, which, as Roshan says, and I agree, has its own strengths. You only really sort of do the core topics, and I think sometimes that can that can mean that you don't get the opportunity to explore other areas um, in an academic context.
1: Interesting. I actually echo that. Um, Sorry, I would echo that when Matt said, "You know, recall myself," and I know Matt mentioned when he was doing his um, his history and politics degree that you know he had the option to do electives and um, he chose law ones whereas I know we had the option to do electives as well but because I was doing law with politics I quite often chose law related electives to boost my I suppose that side of, of the CV so that is, that is a really good point that Matt made there that it maybe might close a couple of other doors um, while keeping other ones open obviously but it's, it's a great point.
0: Yeah, Roshin, you're an interesting example, just as we kind of map this out further, of someone who's in a couple of different teams now.
1: Yeah. And
0: so what I'm, I, I, you know, here's my hypothesis, correct me if I'm wrong. For someone who comes from a non-linear like linear law background, is a grad program more important for them because it shows them different parts? of a company and puts them into different teams. Do, do, do you see the logic there? Yeah,
1: I, mean, yeah, I, I really do. And I, I agree. I think it does. I think it's really important. Um, Yeah, like you said, like I'm not, there's no kind of, uh, I don't have any relatives who are in, in the legal area. So the training provided by McCann Fitzgerald and by a lot of the the firms in Ireland, um, you need to do rotations in different departments. And obviously one of the benefits in working in a big firm is that there's lots of different departments and lots of specialist groups, and you're exposed to tons of different types of, be it transactional, you know, doing deals, mergers, acquisitions, or advisory, you know, your client comes to you with a problem, be it related to employment law, or um, I do some data protection work as well now, or else, you know, conveyancing issue it's a construction law issue or a finance issue so I actually found the training program really good for that and it really opened my eyes to areas of law and areas of kind of business and just practice that I never would have known about or had the opportunity to learn about or work in without having trained and done all these rotations and for example um I had the opportunity to spend six months in our London office during my um, training contract, which was another really good opportunity um, that you know is available in a lot of these grad programs. So I kind of worked in the McCann Fitzgerald London office in kind of asset management and structured finance, and they did some debt capital markets work as well, which I was really intimidated to go into because I had never, you know, barely studied banking law in college and you know maybe touched on it in company law and contract law but it was really fascinating and really really interesting to work on especially um, the type of deals we do so yeah I think that for anyone kind of from a background you you might not know what type of law you want or um, what career direction you want to go in doing a grad program like this is really good because you get I suppose to have a taste of at least four different types of um, practice.
0: Yeah, that's interesting. I actually, um, I started my career in an investment bank and we'd be doing these deals and you'd have, if you had a t- table of 20 people, 10 of them would be bankers, but 10 of them would be lawyers. There was many lawyers yeah. at the table as bankers. And Matt, these are these are banking lawyers. like, And I'd always thought those people could jump across onto the banking side at any point in their career if they want, is that something you see people do or is that a kind of a known track map that you see in your area Uh,
2: making the change from law to sort of the commercial side of business or finance
0: or debt capital markets as in do starting off in financial law you can go kind of anywhere i'd
2: imagine no and I, i i think i'd agree there are certainly there are those who do the qualification and work in the law firm because that's you know that's their passion that's what they want to do and there are others who develop these sort of skills that Roshin's talked about and these allow them to sort of go across the table um, and work in many other industries. Banking is one I think where the crossover is particularly high. Mm -hmm. I, I know a few people who would have been in university with me or sorry who would have done sort of the professional exams at the same time as me and who now after qualifying in London firms they've gone off and work on the investment banking side of things because i mean ultimately you're getting a lot of the same skills right you're getting an analytical mind a structured workplace and uh, an ability to sort of balance a lot of competing tasks and to work let's let's be honest now you're going to be working pretty hard uh, to very tight deadlines and managing expectations of sometimes like uh, sometimes they might seem to you in the immediate moment to be impossible to meet all of these demands but like there's a lot of skill sets that i think they 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 build across um and and like roshan says the training that you're provided it very much emphasizes both sort of the legal work that we're doing the day-to-day but one of the great things um about working a big firm we have a range of clients and a range of partners is that they they sort of when there's when there's time for it like obviously there are some times where you know you just have to get the deal or whatever piece of work is on your desk done there are other times where they will take you aside and you know, talk you through the transaction and talk you through you know why we're doing something in a particular way, what's driving the bank, in a particular situation, what are the factors that are influencing their decision to lend, or to lend on these conditions, or why they need to have these certain like reporting lines from the the client, that's uh, sorry from the the borrower. So I think I think you're right. I think that the skills you get and the training that we are provided with, like. I, it makes you a very good lawyer, but it also means that you have skills that would be desirable in a lot of other industries.
0: Hmm. It's funny you talk about that. One of the cool things about what you guys do is like you're working on a deal and you'd see that deal in the paper the next day or something like you're working on the biggest things out there, which is, I'd imagine, very exciting. Um, Roshin, so Matt, you bring up the exams. Starting with Roshin, how did you both find that whole process? You do it in college and you do FE1s, I think, and then it's black hole and all this sort of stuff. Could you give people, um, you know, picture a first or second year law student here kind of wondering if they're going to go down this route and what's going to go on. What does it look like? Because it's not all that scary, right? Black is actually like really good crack for a while. (laughs)
1: That's true. That's true. Um, Yeah, I'm happy to kind of take this on. So like, you know, I suppose you do your undergraduate degree and be that in law or not, a lot of people do a legal undergraduate degree, but there's a lot of people working in our firm who don't have a legal undergraduate degree and um, have done maybe a postgraduate uh, degree in law or or have just actually gone in and done the FE1. So um, once you've got an undergraduate degree, then you're eligible to take the FE ones, which I think stand for Final Examination First Part. I think, um, yes, yeah, so which I probably should know off the top of my head. But uh, yeah, so um, there are eight of those which you need to pass before you can um, start your official training with the Law Society of Ireland and with your with your um, training law firm. Um, so essentially, once you pass the FE ones, you're eligible. go to Black Place for the professional practice course which is broken up at the moment into PPC one and two in two parts but that's actually going to change soon and there's um, a new kind of hybrid one-time PPC course I think in the works coming out um, in the next year or so. Um, But my personal path was I finished my undergraduate degree in uh, the summer of 2016 and then I sat um, my first four FE1s that October and then the second four that March, the following March, so March 2017. Um, so I did them in two, kind of split them in half. Um, people do them in all different kinds of ways. Um, so some people, you know, do them across three or four goes, you know, if there's no blueprint, um, but you just, you have to get all of them, um, which is just unfortunate <laughs> truth yeah. of it. Without eight FE1s, you, you can't enter um, this profession really yeah. um, which you know they, they, a lot of people have different views on it but that's just I suppose that the fact of it right now and I suppose they're they're very tough um they're really hard exams um I found I took I took eight weeks off in advance of my first ones I didn't work and I studied full time and then for my second set I worked three days a week up until maybe two weeks beforehand and then took the rest of the time off um, so again a lot of people do it really differently some people don't work at all and you know focus on studying I was lucky enough that I could just move home um and burrow down it in my parents sitting <laughs> room as uh, so I didn't have to but obviously not everyone has the luxury of not having to pay rent for a couple of months so some people do work and balance everything and um they're pretty grueling it's it's very much based on memory retention you know you, you um can bring in your copy of the constitution to the constitutional law exam and your companies act to the company's company exam but otherwise it's um an exam but you've done like you know they're doable and manageable if you break them down and just take your time and you know keep at them but they yeah. are hard
0: um, Gosh. What's the pass rate of the board fail rate, whatever the whatever way you know it. Yeah,
1: I don't know. I think that there's, <laughs> I don't know. Like I feel like there's statistics get thrown around every year, and I think it's all kind of slightly, you know, word of mouth and whispers. Um, but I think that there's a fairly solid pass rate a lot of the time. Um, depending on the exam like some of them are notoriously difficult and Mm -hmm. you know probably have higher fail rates but it also depends on the person and the day and the exam and you know sometimes tricky questions come up but I think for anyone listening who like I would never I would never let it put you off trying to go for the um career because I know tons of people who you know took a couple of goes at them and we're all in the same place now it's just they are difficult and they're kind of a mountain to climb but then they're in the past and you know every time like I obviously have dropped in a couple of times I'm from Kerry but uh every time I go home we have to uh go by the red cow roundabout which is where Matt and I would have sat our a few once. and I get a slight shiver down my spine every time but um you know I think nowadays they're well nowadays in, in the current climate they're being done remotely um and people are still they're still just as they're just the same but you're doing that in your bedroom on your laptop but i would say that if anyone is considering doing them maybe have a chat to someone you know who's done them previously take your time give you know give them the time of day that they kind of deserve and do your study and you will you'll, you'll get there
0: yeah chat to a chat to a survivor on the other side um <laughs> but like it's not complete lambs and slaughter obviously because on cool. the other side of it you have a great career there's great money yeah. the hours are long the pressure is high but very stimulating work which people kind of overlook you, you know they you talk about you show up and you get well paid and all this sort of stuff. But during those hours, you're actually quite stimulated, I'd imagine. You're doing interesting stuff day to day. And I think that goes a long way. Matt, any, any, anything to add on the FA1 front or the Black Hole front?
2: On the FA1 front, I'd just say that for those in university still, it wasn't the case when Roisin and I were doing them. But I understand now that you can sort of do them during university or there right. might be some sort of way that you can sort of stagger them across your right your third level education i think that probably is a huge help um if you can if you can sort of stagger them and also do them while they're fresh in your heads as in like while you're still studying the subjects at university i think that's probably going to help people Mm. um but otherwise echo pretty much everything uh roshan said about you know it's a rite of passage uh possible but you know very much more enjoyable once you get to the other side. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah. That's pretty fair. Um, Black Hole, there's two or three stints. The first one's Grey Crack, then the second one's Get serious or something like that. How do, what's that dynamic? That's what I've heard.
2: I, I'd say, I mean, Black Hole <laughs> is, is, a, <laughs> is a great part, is a fundamental part of your educational experience as a solicitor in Ireland. I think for a lot of people, you'd say it's the payoff from the FE1s in that, you know, the initial stage is of Black Hole very much focus on the soft skills and the sort of uh, the bits around the edges, I suppose, of being a solicitor, like how to run a firm in practice, how to deal with the, you know, accountancy regulations and how to deal with, you know, public speaking, drafting, all these sort of, it's not so much a focus on the rote learning. The exams at the end of it are open book. It's about, you know, developing these other sort of skills that you might not have got in a formal education. Uh, and 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 in that way you're first into sort of i think it's seven months Roshin, is it seven or eight months
1: september to april kind of i think so
2: initially the exams can feel like a very long way away particularly Mm. for you when you're coming straight out of either working for six or seven months beforehand or having just done the FU ones um but it is no it is a bit of fun because it's like going to university or to college sorry uh, but now you're in full-time employment so you have you are doing lectures you are studying but you also have freedom and sort of more disposable income than you might have ever had before in your life. So there is obviously an upside to that.
0: That sounds pretty fun. to lean that in?
1: Yeah, I'll, I'll add in. Obviously, Matt and I were in Blackwell at the same time. And um, it is it is a rite of passage and a much better rite of passage than ones. <laughs> this is the rite of passage everyone obviously wants to hear about. And um, one thing I just think it's, it's a really um, A special part of I think the profession because for example there's I think I think Matt and I's um, black hole intake was the biggest ever I think there's about Mm -hmm. 400 um, people so there's about 400 of us all qualifying around the same time and obviously you don't become best friends with everyone but the amount of people you meet out so there's I think there's 39 McAnthus trainees in in that um, black hole intake but let's say if we hadn't gone to (laughs) Hadn't had the opportunity to go to Blackhall, we'd obviously all know each other and maybe some of the other people we would come across in similar firms, um, you know, the corporate firms. But actually what I thought was really good about Black Hole is that for life now we have, you know, friends and connections across the legal industry. So we don't do, for example, family law or, or purely criminal law in McCann Fitzgerald. But if someone ever needed to know about that, I would say, oh, well, this guy this girl was in my tutorial group in black or on my tag rugby team in black or you know um and it's just it's really good bonding for the profession and, and even there are partners that i would work with on a daily basis you know i'd say oh i've got an email from this partner in this other firm and they go oh they were in black with me you know um yeah. so it's it's kind of it's a lasting um connection I think with with your peers and it's a very much everyone's done it everyone's gone through the rite of passage of going to Blackwell Place um and it's not the same experience for everyone obviously because you know some people come from smaller firms that might be sending one or two trainees whereas Matt and I had this great opportunity to go in with you know like there's almost 40 people from our firm Mm. but then not everyone has that huge network but I think it's a really social place very social and you know there's tons of there's lots obviously to to study and there's lots to learn but then outside there's you know there's there's like the Gaelic football teams there's tag rugby um lots of other like quiz nights social events um everything that you know i think it's everyone's second crack at college and you're not going to miss any opportunity this yeah, time to yeah, yeah. you know what it's like to be out in the big bag world you know so um <laughs> no it's great it's, it's really good and obviously then um that's PPC. well i'm kind of talking about ppc one which is the first stint and mm. then you go back Um, So you do, let's say, PPC1 between September and April, and then you're back in office training for a year, and then you do PPC2 for three months. Now, unfortunately, Matt and I did PPC2 virtually last year because it was April 2020 we were scheduled to go, so we did it obviously from home due to the pandemic. But, you know, it was still, while we were obviously looking looking forward to going back to Smithfield and, you know, meeting up with all these people we had known, it's still the bones of 12 weeks out of the office where you get to learn new things, um, all these kind of different types of of law and you have to do kind of a business plan and work with the team on making a business plan for your own law firm and stuff like that, which is really good. Um, But obviously it would have been nice to to be in person, but it is, it's great.
0: As you guys describe this to me, it sounds like paradise. It sounds like college. (laughs) But I'm a real, I'm like a pure extrovert. Do you know of many introverts who go through that? And what's it like for them? Because some of our listeners will be introverts and they'll yeah. be attracted to some elements of solicitor work, but then Black Hole might actually sound like hell rather than heaven because of all the socializing of the people and all that sort of stuff. Are you familiar with that at all? Maybe
2: Matt? Um, I, I would say that you know, Black Hole, like most things, is exactly what you make of it. There are activities for everyone. Be, uh, including if you don't particularly want to do um any of those activities there are opportunities for everyone i know roisin has spoken about a lot of the like you know sort of the the ones that probably grab the headlines you've got your tag rugby the gaelic football Ooh. tours the, the pub quizzes they're all enormous fun but there are other things you can get involved in as well like you have the opportunity i think the R year there's a book club there was there's a law review there's also sort of the um moot court competition so fake court cases that you can argue like there are there's a range of activities for everyone and i think that's a huge part of it is about you know i certainly think you can be comfortable in doing as much or as little as you want i mean the main thing is on you just to find what you're comfortable doing and to make the most of it i think if you're looking from the outside looking in you can probably possibly and it's the same in college i know i certainly felt it at certain stages you have this sort of pressure to go out or to make the most of first year because this is your year of freedom and there's an element of that, but you can also take the time to find the things you like or to take up a new hobby. Uh, I know a lot of people uh, qualified as yoga instructors over mm. the weekends or use their spare time to sort of pursue another passion alongside the education. So yeah, there, there are a lot of social activities, but you can also do and tailor it to sort of the things you're passionate in. So I'd say introvert or extrovert, there's certainly something there that you can make the most of. Nice. Yeah. Rosie, and you'd agree, no extra point.
1: No, yeah, I, I completely agree. And actually, one thing a lot of people did was take up languages. Um, I think you could do oh, that through Black Hole. There's Spanish classes and French classes. Um, so I think outside of the social things, it's actually just being, having done, a lot of people would have done work before going into, you know, PPC. And so it's, you're given back this real luxury of time, you know, um, mm. even a couple of classes a day and you obviously do your reading and study, but it's this, you know, extra time i think you have to, to pursue all these extra things and learn learn outside of um the law
2: and, and yeah. don't go wrong, you do have exams and it does yes. like you can see sort of a, there's a a point where the mood really shifts and everyone's noticing <laughs> yeah. and uh like you really do have to get down to it because you have to pass them and every year you hear one or two people who you know through whatever happens like you have to do it again and that's not really a position you want to be in because you want to make the most of that opportunity so it is a great opportunity to sort of explore these new things, uh, but there are exams at the end of the day that, pe- that we all have to pass to get on to the next stage.
0: Yeah. If you fail exams in college, your friends know like it's kind of crap, but it's not a big deal. If you fail exams here, I'd imagine it's part of your pro- professional brand now and the stakes are a lot higher. Is that a weight that you carry with you? Yeah?
2: I think, I think you obviously, you always want to present the best possible picture and to, to perform to the best of your abilities, so yes, when you're in PPC1, there is always that thought in the back of your mind that, you know, I want to make the most of this, and mm-hmm. it is perhaps slightly higher stakes than college, where it's just your friends that you have to account to, but equally, you're better placed to deal with those pressures, I think. And Roshan, chime in here if you think I'm yeah. saying anything else, but you're better placed in PPC one, to manage your own expectations and to get through the work that you're doing.
1: Yeah, I, I totally agree. And you know, it is true. At, at the end of the day, you know, maybe um, your your mates might know, or it might be an awkward phone call home if you if you fail in college. But at the end of the day, your your employer quite often is is putting you through black hole. That's not always the case. Um, and so there is maybe an added incentive to just do, do your very best in the, in these exams because they're also professional practice exams so yeah. uh, a lot of the stuff you learn in college is kind of theory and, and it's you know case law but a lot of the stuff you learn in in ppc2 is is what you'll need to know in in practice in a range of different areas so it is worth kind of it is worth putting the time in when, when the exams come around to, to give the best shot
2: you do have a lot of supports available to you i mean we're, we're fortunate in a large firm that we have each other and, that, you know, mm-hmm. there's a, a network of people who have gone through this before. But even if you're from other firms, like Roshin said, you're in tutorial groups together, you're going to be talking these things through together. You have like ready-made study groups. So yeah. I think there is there's certainly the supports out there. So I don't think anyone should be put off. I don't think anyone should be concerned about the exams. They're just something that you have to go through to get to the, to the qualification.
0: Yeah, that'd actually be great for personal development as well, because you're teaching yourself to overcome something like pretty monumental by way of a challenge. Um, with only a couple of minutes left, I do want to delve into this. From a distance, it looks like you two do the same thing. You're associate lawyers in a big law firm. But then the actual work you do would be quite different, given the different nature between tech and innovation and corporate banking and employment, then could you guys maybe detail the differences between the work you're doing or even high level each of you and then the listener can hear themselves what the differences would be
1: yeah sure well i can i can start and i suppose so i am currently working across two groups Uh, so i work um as an associate in the technology and innovation group which is actually based in our corporate group in, in McCann Fitzgerald but also i work with our employment group which is based in litigation but also also does a lot of corporate work um, i suppose on a, on a day-to-day in the technology and innovation side um the team does a lot of for example data protection advice so we advise companies and regulators on how to manage data protection problems and policies and um, there's a quite a substantial overlap then with the employment law group where for example you know organizations and HR or departments across the country are constantly managing employee personal data and we advise them on how to do that and it's quite advisory across both groups what I do so um, and what both groups do so while in the technology and innovation sphere, we do a lot of data protection advisory, but there's also intellectual property and information information technology advice um, that companies would come and, for example, lay out a a proposed initiative, and we would then advise them on the data protection, intellectual property, um, and IT legal issues that they might face. And then we also would advise and draft on various commercial contracts um, across a range of industries including pharma industries for example so it's really broad and very advisory in nature but we also would feed into a lot of the corporate and banking teams if they're doing a large transaction they'll have to do a lot of what's called due diligence and then all the specialist groups across the firm would quite often feed in review these documents and we would comment on um, okay, there's maybe gaps in their data protection compliance here, or we need to make sure that they have the proper proprietary interest in this, you know, piece of technology here. And that's kind of a very much a real sweep of what the technology and innovation group do. And then on the employment side, they deal with employment disputes um, before the Workplace Relations Commission, Labour Court, High Court, um, uh, you know, you name it. Um, but also across they do a lot of non-contentious advisory work. So drafting contracts, feeding into those kind of um, transactions that I, I mentioned there and other advisory things such as advising on redundancies um, or terminations of kind of high profile employees or also just employees in right. general. So it's really broad, um, but it's probably quite different to what Matt does on a day to day basis. Um,
2: I
0: think. Yeah, Matt, can we hear about yours as well?
2: Uh, absolutely. I'm not sure if I can try and make it sound as quite as interesting and as broad <laughs> as that because Roshin's really done a great job there. But I'd say that as Roshin was saying, she focused us mainly on sort of advisory work, whereas our team would do a lot of transactional work. So the focus would be sort of on getting deals done or getting things in place. So that The main purpose when we're acting corporate banking is either we want to get the money in or we want to get the money out uh, of the sort of the borrower uh, so that they have the ability to sort of go off and complete these projects or uh, businesses that they're, that they're thoroughly invested in uh, so i'd say a lot of the sort of the things the core skills that roshin and i have i mean we have to be very good at, with word you constantly on emails and calls but i'd say like a lot of what we do <clears throat> is coordinating the various different work streams that have to feed in to any of these transactions. Like you'll have known for yourself from a background in banking that you know the bankers put help put the deal together. And then there's the lawyers who are involved and help sort of ensuring that the deal works the way that everyone intended it to work. So we've got the security in place if things go wrong, but we've also got the sort of money flows uh, working the way they are. But then you've got the insurance brokers, you've got the tax brokers, you've got the specialists like Roshin who are advising on data protection elements. So in addition to the sort of core job of drafting the documents, we also have a, a big role in sort of coordinating various different teams of the different parties to make sure that we're all working towards the same common goal. And that's that's one of the things I really enjoy about our team is like, is uh, the work itself is interesting and it's a great group of people to work with. But there's also something highly enjoyable in getting everyone pulling together in the same direction towards a sort of common goal that you can work towards and achieve together. It's a very deadline driven? Incredibly de- deadline driven, but that's part of the that's part of the sort of uh, the excitement of it all. And totally. totally yeah I mean, sorry, and I don't I don't yeah, I don't mean that in a sort of facetious manner. Like there is something more exciting about having to knowing that you have to do something in a tight time frame. And sometimes there's a tight time frame because people are asking for it, but sometimes there genuinely is a sort of pressure to get something done before a particular deadline or before mm. something happens. For example, I mean, you need to get the financing in place before the market's open so that you know you can tell your investors that this is where we're going or that you know you have planning permission that needs to be enacted on by a certain time. And it's true that sometimes you will be working really hard to quite t- tight deadlines, but other times you will have the time to sort of work more to your own pace and really explore uh, the, the the things that you're working on. Mm. But like
0: I, I wasn't being facetious either. I think like there genuinely is a type of person that almost needs that pressure. Like mm. I'm one of them, by the way. <laughs> like I'm definitely like a dopamine junkie in my work and I'd love a bit of adrenaline as well when there is just massive surge or push. And like... People might look at a professional job, be it being a lawyer, a banker, anything like that, and say, you're in the desk all day. It's boring. It's far from boring when you've got a lot of stuff going on and when there's real pressure and a lot of money on the line with these deadlines. Um, and that I think that's important for people to hear actually that you know this I mean, is it gives you a rush.
2: And I feel like that that feeds into what I think you mentioned earlier about you know when you're working on this, a lot of the tasks that you do initially at a junior level, sort of, you know, you'll be drafting corporate approvals that sort of set out how a transaction works and how people are going to approve it and how people are getting comfortable with what they're going to do. So you're really getting to understand what's happening, but you're also doing some sort of tasks that won't be high glamour. You won't be going straight in the door, running a transaction. That's just not Mm -hmm. how the world works. But every task that you're doing is in its own way required to get the deal or to get whatever piece of work it is out to the client or to get something closed off and then when you see it happening and having a real world impact in the newspapers you there's, there's something exciting about working with high profile clients that you can see the actual practical impact of the work that you're doing and i think that that's a, a large part of the payoff in what we do like the work yeah. is interesting the people we work with is interesting but it's also that there's a real practical impact uh and you can say Obviously, you don't say it to everyone because you know we've huge confidentiality obligations, but to yourself, you know that you had a part in making that happen.
0: Yeah, yeah, that is uh, that's pretty cool. Um, okay, on to the quick fires. I told you, I tried to give you advance a warning, but you know what's gonna happen. Um, routine something you, you know now that you wish you knew in college.
1: Um, I actually thought about this one, and I suppose one thing is. And it's easier to say at the at the end of the line, but uh, rejection is a part of life. Uh, for example, I um, applied essentially because all my friends were in third year for all the big firm internships, and I didn't get a single one. And you know, was devastated, took it incredibly personally, um, and just thought that okay, well, I can obviously am not cut out for this career. There's something wrong fundamentally with my, with my application, but you know, as disappointing as it is, I tried again next year, did a couple of internships, and then I actually interviewed for McCann's the September after I graduated, oh no, yeah, sorry, the November after I graduated from university, having four FE1s under my belt. And then, you know, took the job and finished the fu ones and then went off to Australia and had a, a lot of fun. But it's obviously easy to say that now, but at the time I was really, really downtrodden by the rejections, but because um, it is the first time that I think a lot of people do face rejection. Because you know, you come out of college. A lot of people, you know, I got the points for my course. I ended up going on Erasmus. Did all the everything right, and then suddenly you you get a wash of rejections. and You realize you're a small fish in a very big pond. So, yeah. um, I think just dust yourself off. Um, you know, have a cry if you want to. I did, and then try again. Uh, that's kind of I think what I'd say.
2: Nice, Matt. I think I'd have to echo what Roshan said, like that is definitely the best advice you can receive, particularly when you think, you know, every single part of your, you know, at that stage, there's this this kind of habit of saying that this is like this conveyor belt to whatever it is you're going to be doing in life. I mean, you go to school, you go to college, you get your job, you do your job. And that's just the way the world works, but it's not. It's a lot less linear than that. I'd say that, you know, a lot of people have a preconceived idea about what a solicitor is or even about what the job it is that they want to do. I think. Uh, particularly at the larger firms but across all firms like this there's really no one type uh, of person there's people in our firm from all across the country and from all walks of life and you know if it's something you're interested in doing i'd say do it persevere with it you will work hard but you'll also enjoy it and and don't compare yourself to everyone around you Uh, like everyone gets to where they want to get at a different pace and that you know if you get too caught up it's the same with these sort of, you know, Fitbits that measure your sleep. If you get too caught up measuring everything you're doing all the time, you can kind of get stuck in a feedback loop that doesn't allow you to take the opportunities you want to. I think that's the advice I wish I'd gotten at a younger age is that, you know, try things you want to try. And if they work out, they work out. If they don't, you can move on to the other thing. As long as you're working hard and trying things that you're genuinely interested in, I think it will probably work out for you.
0: Yeah, it's funny. If, I, I'm pretty against the Fitbit thing as well, just because like you get so caught up in the stats on your sleep that you can't sleep, and it just doesn't help. There's this new uh, sort of
2: sleep apnea that's developed solely because of people trying to measure their sleep all the time. So they're getting nervous. They're not getting enough good sleep. Yeah, uh, don't get enough good sleep. It's it's yeah no it's. <laughs> well,
0: Everybody <laughs> needs to just relax. We're a different
2: bit. podcast, but yeah, exactly. <laughs> um,
0: Roshin, any. Qu- or sorry, any book that you would recommend to people?
1: Oh yes, um, I really kind of this is a very tough question, but I think I'll say um, "Educated" by Tara Westover. Nice. Um, read it a couple of years ago. It's one of the best books I've read in a long time, and gives you a real. Um, I'm not sure if this is maybe a cringy thing to say, but it makes you really appreciate that we have a very you know, open society, it's very easy to access education in, in this country. And then actually the second one, which is Lean In by Sheryl Sandberg, which I think is a very good, book to read, um, particularly for, for girls who are interested in going into business.
0: So I agree, I've read both of those. Lean In, I would recommend to young men as well as just young women. Mm, it's sure, sure, you of a much more informed professional yeah. and colleague as well. So it's nice for young women to read it and feel probably empathy and a few different tr- tricks of the trade kind of thing. But for young men to read it and actually see this other sort of dimension of what goes on in yeah, the workplace right, that they right. otherwise don't see. Um, so, yeah, that's they're, they're really good ones. Matt?
2: So, I think we'll be naming any literary greats. It's, it's kind of a hard question to say to be confined to one book. So, I just thought a couple like Roshan. I mean, the first one I'd say, building on that last point uh, about Lean In, is I don't know if you've read Invisible Women? No. I would highly recommend it. It's basically sort of a a sort of broad overview of various uh, situations throughout life or throughout the world where people have taken sort of a base model that's based on a male outlook on the world and use this to sort of build their own models that end up missing out other members of society. Like the, the prime example was sort of seat belts, where all the test dummies were male proportions. So never really clicking that, you know, if a woman is shorter or a different body shape, that's not going to work. Um, And the other one I would recommend is slightly more legal bent, and that's uh, Jeremy Hutchinson's Case Histories. It's a a biography of this really famous English barrister, I sort of basically through good fortune and no amount of skill, I'm sure, uh, no small amount of skill, managed to be involved in some of the largest cases in the 20th century in the UK. And it's a really interesting uh, exploration of various different cases and how, you know, what comes out in the final judgment isn't always everything that happened at trial. Like, there's, there's, there's these sort of little things in the background that really influence things that, you know, you might not pick up on if you weren't there. I think there's one of the cases he worked on was Lady Chatterley's Lover, the uh, sort of obscenity trial. And they discussed that you know, during this trial, Whilst the judge was instructing the jury, he the judge had his wife sitting next to him in the courtroom on the bench, which I mean maybe to other people this is this seems normal, but to me it just seemed absolutely crazy and not something that when you're reading the ju- the decision that you'd ever think that you know the jury yeah. might well have been influenced by the fact that you know we're being told this undermines family values and you have a judge sitting there with their spouse wow, on the bench. Yeah. Uh, so those those are two that I'd recommend.
0: Interesting. I'm actually going to throw one in. Just like it's about architects. A lot of business people like it, and I think lawyers might actually really like it. It's called The Fountainhead by Ayn Rand, and Steve Jobs and Mark Cuban both read it every. Well, Jobs is obviously gone, but they read it every single year. And um, it's it's most kind of a lot of people business people's favorite book. It's certainly one of mine. And I definitely recommend it to, to young lawyers as well. To it, it thinks about it. May, it shapes the way you think about entering the working world. And yeah, um, lastly, then a quote to live by. Uh, <laughs> I,
2: I, I, I have
1: I have one. Um, I just my it's actually something my dad always says. Is that it's, it's a bit cheesy, but it says it costs nothing to be nice. So like just uh, throughout your career, you know, as sometimes it might be. You might feel like maybe being a bit snippy uh with people but uh stay as cordial as possible and keep those um connections going throughout your career because they're invaluable so um that's nice. just a little quote i think <laughs> that comes to mind
2: that's good um i, I don't have i wish I, I had something that i could pass on that was as, as wise and sage as that i think <laughs> i am very wise and sage. I, I don't have a quote um, a, lawyer, know, a lawyer stuck for words here. This is the first. I know, I know. Um, <laughs> I would, I would echo what Erosion says in this. You know, be be cordial to to people you work with and to people you meet. Um, not just because it's the right thing to do, but also because you never know when you're going to need a favour from somebody else. Um, and and that that's another thing is never be afraid to ask questions. People mm-hmm. I have found as I've gone through this career, people, particularly senior people, you think they're these high-powered people who are maybe a bit above it all, but they they love being asked for help. They love explaining things that they've done or explaining their own thought process or explaining how they got somewhere. So just ask people, ask people questions. Nice. It's not a quote, uh, <laughs> I suppose, but uh, I, I hope it's something that people take. No, it'll up. be a
1: quote
0: it's, now. It's yeah. great. Exactly. They're going to quote <laughs> me now. Uh, Roisin, Finn, Matt Gregg, thank you both so much.